0: So tonight we're at Psalms 132, and I'll begin reading at verse number 1. Lord, remember David and all his afflictions, how he swear unto the Lord and vowed unto the mighty God of Jacob. Surely I will not come into the tabernacle of my house, nor go up into my bed. I will not give sleep to mine eyes or slumber to mine eyelids until I find a place, sorry, until I find out a place for the Lord, an habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. Lo, we heard of it in Ephrathah, we found it in the fields of the wood. We will go into his tabernacles, we will worship at his footstool. Together in verse 8. Arise, O Lord, into thy rest, thou in the ark of thy strength. Now, if you are uh, familiar with David and some of his exploits, you may catch on real quickly what's happening in Psalms 132. He's talking about bringing the ark the ark of the covenant into jerusalem and we'll talk about that here in a little bit Uh, but that's what is going on and this psalm now comes out of that so again they are traveling to jerusalem this is the things that's coming out and we're trying to look at them in our own life based on growing in our own faith and heading towards heaven so let's pray let's get into it father i pray that you'd help us we are here we are we have your word and we seek your face pray that you meet with us we ask in christ's name Amen. And you may be seated. Let me begin a little bit off of uh, talking about the Ark and David, and then we'll we'll kind of swing back around to it here in a little bit. When we approach the Psalms, the Psalms are very unique. Well, every book of the Bible has its own uniqueness. There's something unique. Uh, something peculiar, something special about every book of the Bible. Whether it's like in Jonah, when you think about Jonah in the well, and here's a prophet who was serving the Lord, and now he wants to go to, the, you know, God says go to Nineveh, and he heads out to Tarshish. Or whether it's uh, a book like Proverbs, which has all of these uh, kind of pithy type statements, uh, contrasting and comparing uh, foolishness and wisdom. Uh, or whether you're thinking of the five books of Moses and gives really the whole history and the background and brings us all to understanding the rest of the Bible. So every book of the Bible has its own unique place, but in the Psalms as well. And we come to the Psalms. One of the things about the Psalms is we're confronted with clearly with the intersection of God's sovereignty and man's free will. We've talked about that before, and they, are inter- they intersect very clearly in the book of Psalms. Just as in salvation, both of these play a role to accomplish God's eternal purpose. Here's here's God's sovereign will. Here's the choices we make. And they work together, God works them together to accomplish His eternal purposes. Psalms, like all the Bible... Let me slow down for a moment. Okay, So we just made a statement. Now I'm going to make another statement. Psalms, like all of the rest of the Bible is God's eternal Word. Now, that means that God's Word will always exist going forward. It also means God's Word has existed always going backwards. The Word of God is simply the expression, the thoughts of God. God's thoughts have never changed. God's Word has never changed. What God views, how God values, how God thinks about something is never going to change because God does not change and therefore His Word does not change so go with me to psalms 119 now what i just said i'm sure is not a earth-shattering statement on a sunday night at grace baptist church if it is i probably should check out what i've been doing for the last 17 years Uh, psalms 119 look with me at verse number 89 forever O lord thy word is settled in where heaven well who's in heaven God's in heaven. It is settled. God's Word is settled. God doesn't come out with something new. There's no lost books of the Bible. There's no new books of the Bible. There's no forgotten books of the Bible. We have God's completed Word right here. But before we had it right here, He had it right there in heaven. God's Word has always existed. Forever, O Lord, Thy Word is settled in heaven. Now go over, still, Psalms 119, but flip over a couple pages to verse number 160, 160. It says this in Psalms 119, verse 160, Thy word is true from the what? Beginning. From the very beginning, his word has been what his word is, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. So, the book of Psalms, what we just read, so let's now try to make it a little more um, thinking. Okay. So if you go back to Psalms 132 and look at our verse, Lord remembered David and all his afflictions. Before there ever was an earth, before there ever was stars, before there ever was a sun, before there was an Adam and an Eve, before anything existed in creation, God's Word existed. Forever, O Lord, thy Word is settled in heaven. That means Psalms 132, verse 1, existed before the heavens and the earth. But what we're reading happened in real time. But it, the Word of God existed before it ever happened. That's interesting to think that way. So, one, so one, Psalms 132 existed before the world existed. Yet, now watch, the psalmist penned these words, albeit under inspiration, from experience. What the psalmist wrote, he wrote based on experience. But yet, God's Word existed a long time before the psalmist ever existed. So how can that be? Did, did, did the psalmist just write things and God says, Hey, that's pretty good. I'll put it in my Bible. No, that's not what happened. Did, did the psalmist read the Bible and then just start writing down what the Bible said? No, because before he wrote it, it wasn't not written as far as human, the human side of it. So how is this can be? How can God's eternal word exist, but yet the psalmist pen words from, again, albeit under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but yet from experience? Well, how can that be? It's just like God can take dust, like dust, and say, and there's Adam. a Fully, complete, mature creation. So how can he do it? Because God can do what God wants to do. And God is able, now watch this, the same God, let me back up for a moment, because I, I don't, I don't want to get ahead of myself in my statements. These Psalms are based on real experiences. But the real experiences that the Psalms are based on do not take away from the inspiration or the preservation of God's Word. The same God who wrote Psalms before the world began now has designed experiences that are exactly as he wrote because that's what God can do, and he brings the two together. That's the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. He brings the two together as only he can. And so the psalmist in Psalms 132, get my words out, uh, is, is pinning these words based on experience that Israel had experienced, but yet it's part of God's eternal perfect word. So in their pilgrimage ascent, they are remembering and considering Israel's history. And then in turn, through the remembering and the considering, they're being motivated by that history. So, as they're making this ascent towards Jerusalem, they are remembering things that God has done, considering the things that God has done, and then it's motivating them in their own faith and and following of the Lord. Now, we, as believers today, and even as humans, but as believers... We have similar experience that we can relate to this psalmist experience. I'll give you an illustration of what I mean by that. Now, uh, others probably do this, but, uh, and you do it, or the same thing, but in a different way. If I'm going to go to Gettysburg, which I've been several times, happy to go again, looking for volunteers. Okay? Great great trip to take. Uh, I, I love to go there. Good. Let's go right now. We've got time. Uh, we'd be there in Spent all day Monday. And so anyways, you go there and you walk to Battlefield. Now, before I do that, if, let's say if I was going to go there tomorrow, either tonight or yesterday, what I would have done is sat down and watched the movie Gettysburg. I want to see the... Because it's, 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 it's pretty historically accurate. I wouldn't say it's perfect, but it, it gives you a good flavor of what's happening. And it was filmed... My understanding, based on being, having been at the battlefield and have watching the movie, and this is what I'm told, and it sure looks this way, that it was filmed there. So what you're seeing in the film, when you go there, you're seeing the very same thing. And so when I watch um, Chamberlain at the top of Little Round Top and the Southerners coming up at him, and then him rushing down, you can go at Gettysburg to the top of Little Round to, uh, Top, and walk down the same way where the Union uh, soldiers charged down at the, at the Confederates. And it makes you think what they went through, and, 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 and what that battle was like. And it begins making you think about these things. So as the pilgrims, back to Psalms 132, as the pilgrims are traveling to Jerusalem, it's reminding them about another trip that people made to Jerusalem. And that is the trip that David made with the ark. And that is kind of the human background of Psalms 132. So this is what's happening to the psalmist in his journey. It reminded him of the other journey by David with the ark, and it then begins reminding him about important truths in his own relationship with the Lord. Now here's why this is important. If we are not regularly reminded of things, they slip away. You know what's amazing? It's amazing. It's amazing to hear babies cry, isn't it? That's always a good thing to hear. That's exciting to hear. But you know what's amazing? Is when you, when you find churches that used to be the hotbed of soul winning, and a, of, of living right and preaching hard, and you go there and they're mamby-pamby. No, no, you don't hear the gospel. They, they, they have maybe a, a rock concert going on on the stage, and, and, they're, and they're compromising their doctrine. That did not happen overnight. What happened is someone quit reminding them of the truth. They said, well, we all know these things. We all believe these things. We don't got to keep talking about these things. And they let them slip. Now, you may sometimes get tired of hearing the same old things, but there's a purpose to it. Because the same old things is the things we're supposed to hold on to. Hold your place in Psalms 132. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Now, I don't plan on preaching the same sermon every Sunday, but I do plan on keep preaching the same truths. Maybe not the only truth, like only preach on prayer or only preach on soul winning, but I do plan to keep on preaching on prayer and preaching on soul winning. Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 1. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. Now notice the phrasing there. Give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. Already heard them, already know them. Give more earnest heed to them. Why? Lest at any time we should let them slip. They just slip away. They just drift away from us. And all of a sudden, they're, they're not a part of us anymore. And so this the psalmist is on this journey, he's re- remembering about this other journey that David had with the ark, and it's reminding him of truths that he needs to make sure he, he holds on to so they don't slip away. So that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to be reminded of three things that we know that we can't, we got to be careful not to let them slip in our own spiritual journey. So let's go back to Psalms 132, and we'll look at the first thing together. Let's pick it up in verse 1 again. Lord, remember David and all his afflictions, how he sware unto the Lord, notice the, the wording here, and vowed unto the mighty God of Jacob, surely I will not come into the tabernacle of my house nor go in, uh, up into my bed, I will not give sleep to my eyelids, until I found out a place for the Lord an habitation for the mighty God, God of Jacob. Lo, we heard of it at Ephrata, and we found it in the fields of the woods. And there's meaning to those things we may or may not get into. But he, he was making a vow. He made a promise. And basically what David was saying is, why do I have a house? Why do I have a place to live? Why do I have a place to stay? And the ark is just in this other city. No one's taking care of it. It's not where it needs to be. I have all of this, it doesn't have what it should. I make a vow, I promise, I'm committing myself to taking care of that ark. So that brings us to number one. We are reminded in this Psalms, we are reminded to be committed to the Lord. Here is what the psalmist remembered. So hold your place in Psalms 132, let's look at it together so we understand what the psalmist was talking about. First Chronicles, if you will, verse uh, chapter 13. Interesting. We had talked about this. Uh, we had the uh, Parnells over for dinner. Actually, the Parnells brought the dinner, so that was it was a pretty good, pretty good deal there. Uh, and it was very, very tasty, and we enjoyed some fellowship together. And we talked about this here. It just happened to come up, um, but we talked about this event that we're about to look at in First Chronicles 13. And David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said to all the congregation of Israel, If it seem good unto you, and that it be of the Lord our God, let us send and unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel, and with them also to the priests and Levites, uh, which are in their cities and suburbs, that they may gather themselves un- unto us. And let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we, are in- for we inquire not at it in the days of Saul. And all the congregation said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David gathered all Israel together from Sihor of Egypt, even unto the entering of Hamath, to bring the ark of God from Kurjath Jearim. That means city of woods. That's, you'll see that kind of played out in Psalms 132. And David went up, and all Israel to Baalah, that is, that is to Kurjath Jearim, which belongeth to Judah. To which, where the uh, epitaph thing comes in, which belonged to Judah to bring up thence the ark of the God, the Lord that dwell between the cherubims, whose name is called on it. Now they don't do it the right way. They put it. They put it in a wagon, and bad things happen, uh, understandably. But his intention was good. But now he figures out what he does wrong. Let's bring it. Let's uh, up. Uh, go forward to chapter 15. Still wants to do it. So they, 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 they try it once, they don't, don't do it the right way, they realize we need to do it God's way, which is always the right way. And so now they put the uh, um, poles in it, and now they're carrying it on the shoulders of the, of the Levites as it should be. And the children of the Levites bear the ark of God, verse 15 of chapter... Uh, 15. And the children of the Levites bear the ark of God upon their shoulders with the staves thereon, as Moses commanded according to the word of the Lord. Now drop down to verse number 25. So David and the elders of Israel and the captains over thousands went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the house of Obed-Edom with joy. And it came to pass when God helped the Levites that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord that they offered seven bullocks and seven rams. And David was clothed with the robe of fine linen, and all the Levites that bare the ark, and the singers, and, uh, and uh, Kenaniah, the master of the song with the singers, David also had upon him an ephod of linen. Thus all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouting, and with the sound of the cornet, and with trumpets, and with cymbals, making a noise of psalteries and harps. Now, you probably need to hold your place here, because we're coming uh, back to that reference, I believe, here in a moment. So we're reminded in this idea about being committed to the Lord. So the psalmist is traveling. He's heading to Jerusalem. In his travel, he's rem- remembering another trip with David in the ark heading to Jerusalem. He's reminding of being, remem- uh, being reminded of this commitment that David had. We need to take care of this. So David was committed, don't lose me because there's a point to all this, hopefully. David was committed to bring the ark to Jerusalem. Why is that? Because the ark symbolized God's presence and God's leadership. So David's commitment to bring the ark was actually his commitment to follow God's leadership. Seeking God's presence. So it wasn't simply of just a religious artifact, but the ark represented God. It represented God's leadership, God's presence. And David was saying, that's what I'm committed to, and I want his presence and his leadership here where we are in the city of Jerusalem. So he was committed to these things. Now, because of our sin nature, and because of life's demands, and because of the work of Satan... I'll say it again, because of our sin nature, we, we, we just drift away from things. Because of life demands, we get busy, and without knowing it, we drift away. And because of the work of Satan, who's always trying to get us to drift away, we have to regularly recommit ourselves to God. I don't know when the first time, I'm trusting this evening that you have committed your life to God. I don't know when the first time it is, but let me tell you, it won't be the last time. Because you're going to wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm at a place where I didn't think I'd be. I'm, I'm, I'm away from where I was. I was here living for the Lord, and I've kind of drifted away. And I don't, that's not where I want to be, and you have to recommit. And this is what David is doing. He's recommitting. That's what I want, the Lord's leadership, the Lord's direction, the Lord's presence in my life. Now, let me clarify, because there's a warning here. David wasn't committed to God because the ark was in Jerusalem. Now, get this. David was not committed to God because the ark was there. The ark was there because he was committed to God. It's not the same thing. What, what, what am I trying to say? Our commitment may be shown by externals. But it always starts with an internal. Internal. There may be things in your life you do based on a commitment to God, but it doesn't begin with doing those things. It begins with a commitment to God. Because if we're not careful, we make the externals the goal. The externals are not the goal. The internals are the goal. Now, here's why I'm saying this. Was the ark in Jerusalem after he brought it to Jerusalem? Yes, that's a rhetorical question. He brought the ark to Jerusalem. He brought the ark to Jerusalem because he was committed to God. You know what happened after this event? He committed to sin with Bathsheba. Was he committed to God then? Nope. Was the ark still in Jerusalem? Yep. And we can look like we're committed. We can do all the things that committed people do and have lost our commitment. And that's why we have to regularly recommit ourselves. You see, here is the truth. Listen, you know where you're at and when you're away from the Lord before anyone else does. And you can keep faking it and no one else knows until something bad happens. And so we have to understand, we have to regularly recommit ourselves to the Lord. We have to be reminded of this, that we need this commitment to the Lord. Hold your place there. Go with me to 2 Corinthians. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. There have been believers who have done some things that, well, they've done some bad things. And when they've done it, people have said, "Well, I never thought." I mean, they were, I mean, they were still teaching their Sunday school class. They were still going out soul winning. They, they were still singing the songs. Everything that they've always done, they've kept on doing. You're right. Externally, nothing changed. Internally, something changed. Just like for David. So we've got to make sure we are truly committed, not just externally in the externals, a little redundant there, but internally with that true commitment. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abound into the riches of their liberality. Giving, that's what that means, They're giving. For to their power... I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, their ability, they were willing of themselves in this giving, okay? Paul's talking about this offering they gave. Praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to to the saints. But notice, look at verse 5. And this they did, the giving this gift, this love offering, not as we hope, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. They had the external, but before they did the external, there was an internal that was already there. And that's what Paul is saying. First is the giving of self. So as we uh, consider this ark going to Jerusalem, we're reminded of David's commitment. But the, the commitment just wasn't the external. The commitment was something in his heart that was, that was committed to the Lord, and it was shown in the externals. But the true commitment was inside. So we're reminded to be committed to the Lord. There's a second thing we're reminded of. Let's go back now to our our text, Psalms 132. Look with me at verse 7. We will go into his tabernacles. We will worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, into thy rest, thou and the ark of thy strength. Let Let thy priests be clothed with righteousness, and let thy saints shout for joy. So not only are we reminded to be committed to the Lord, but number two is this. We are reminded to worship God in joy. Not only did they bring in the ark, they brought the ark in joyfully. Not only was there externals to their internal commitment, but the externals were done with joy. It's one thing to say, I'm committed. It's another thing now to follow through in doing those things and doing it joyfully. The Bible says, God loveth a cheerful giver. Now, Brother How's you say I love any old grasp that will give, but the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. This is he wants it done from the heart and done with joy. Let's look at this together. 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. So first we want to be committed. We want an internal commitment to the Lord. And maybe no one else sees it but you and God, but you know it's there or not. And the externals should follow, but just because the externals are there doesn't mean the internals there. You can put on the dog, you can play the part, you can do, well, this is what they're doing, this is what they're doing, this is what I'm doing, so I'll start doing those things, that'll make me committed. That won't make you committed. You start by giving of yourself a true commitment to the Lord, and then begin trying to seek to do the externals. 2 Samuel chapter 6, and then as we do that, we want to do it with joy. Look down with me at verse 13. It was so that when they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he, King David, sacrificed oxen and fatlings. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. Now he wasn't, you know, was the, this is not boogie nights or something, okay? The, okay, this is a, a, he's just leaping and excited. It's like someone, like, like a kid at Christmas who's jumping up and, ah, you know, well, look what I got. Okay, that's, it's an, it's, that's what it means there, okay? Just so you know. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord, shouting with the sound of the trumpet. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing for the Lord, and she despised him in, in, in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in the place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And as soon as David had made an end of offering uh, burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of Hosts and uh, Lord of Hosts. And he dealt among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well to the women as men, to everyone a cake of bread and a good piece of f- a flesh and a flagon of wine. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. He is doing it, and joy he is celebrating it let 's go back to psalms, go to psalm sixty eight so yes he 's committed, and that commitment had an external and had something that you could see, and he did it with joy psalm sixty eight look with me at verse twenty four They have seen thy goings, they have seen thy goings, O God, even the goings of my God, my king, in the sanctuary. The singers went before. The players and instruments followed after. He's talking about the same thing we're talking about here in the bringing the ark. Among them were the damsels playing with timbrels. Bless ye God in the congregations, even the Lord, from the fountain of Israel. That's a psalm of celebration talking about the event we're talking about. So so we are reminded to to be committed to the Lord. Number two, we are reminded to worship God in joy. Joyful worship, joyful service, Joyful commitment, joyful sacrifice reflects a heart that is fixed on the Lord. And the lack of that joy reflects a heart that isn't fixed on Him. Again, we're not talking about pretending. Okay? I want to back up. Because it's easy to watch what other people do, copy what they do, and think you're at the same level they are. And, not, and again, we're not trying to say better or worse people. We're not trying to be that way. We're not hoity-toity and looking down our nose. I'm simply saying we have a time, we have a way humanly, to pretend we're somewhere where we're not that we've reached a level we've not reached and people look at you and they say boy he's a mature believer or look at her she must really know the Lord because look at the externals but the externals don't make you committed but if you're truly committed you will do the externals. so there are people I'm not trying to confuse you understand this there are people who are doing the externals who are both committed and not committed but you know what? it's hard to do the externals when you're not committed and do the externals with joy Because the joy comes from the heart. And a heart that's committed and doing externals is a heart also doing it in joy. And one of the ways you know whether or not it's true commitment is the joy you do it with. In spite of all of the uh, headaches and the neck aches and the back aches that doing it may cause, you do it with joy because it's in your heart and you love the Lord and you're excited to do it. So joyful worship, joyful service, joyful commitment, joyful sacrifice reflects this heart that is fixed on the Lord, this true commitment. And the lack of that joy reflects a heart that truly isn't fixed on Him. You may have the externals, but you don't have the joy because you don't have that really true heart commitment. Now when we say joy... Obviously joy isn't happiness. That's a whole another teaching. We've talked about that joy is not happiness It's not the laughing smiling having a good time nothing wrong with the happiness. We're not saying it uh, We're not saying if you're happy you're wrong with God people sometimes take me to an extreme I'm not if someone's smiling you can't say oh he must be a sinner look at he's smiling Okay, we're not saying you you know if you're happy in Jesus all of a sudden you must be a wicked uh, Reprobate Okay, we're not saying that what I'm saying is that's not what we're talking about when it comes to joy we're not talking about someone who's doing it laughing, someone who's doing it smiling, someone who's doing it uh, uh, and, and just really having a good time doing it. That, there's, there's more to joy than that. That may be a part of it. There's more to it. Joy, true Bible joy, true heart joy, true spiritual joy. Joy is a combination of peace and satisfaction and contentment that all works together that comes from knowing that what we're doing, we're doing because we're committed to the Lord, and our lives are in God's hands, and we're looking and trusting in Him. Now watch this statement. Joy, true Bible joy, has both a calming and exciting influence at the same time. True joy kind of calms you as well as excites you all at the same time because you, you're doing it for the Lord, and that excites you. It calms you and excites you both. Sometimes this joy is expressed externally. Look at Psalms 132. Look at verse 9. Let thy priests be clothed with righteousness, and let thy saints shout for joy. That's an external action. So sometimes the joy, the joy is expressed in externally. Sometimes joy is expressed internally. Internally. Do not look at someone who's not smiling and say, well they they must not be right with God because look they're not smiling okay Th- that y- The smile on your face does not determine whether you 're right or God, right with God or not, but you'll know someone who has joy because just the way they they, they now if, if they're griping, complaining, moaning uh, uh fussing well yeah okay, there's some heart issue there, but it's, joy is not someone who's just Ha, 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 let's have, gang's here, let's have a good old time. The joy is a whole lot more than that. Go with me to James, chapter 1. James, chapter 1. Now, there's a point, again, that we're trying, we're working towards. If you've heard me preach, hopefully you know that's how it works. Each point has a major thrust of that point, and I've tried to build up to it. give you several statements as I'm leading you to that. So James chapter 1, look with me at verse number 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Well, that doesn't really make sense, does it? Count it all joy when you when the you know, multi-million dollar publisher's clearinghouse, yeah. Count it all joy when you, know, you, uh, you, know, you, you, you find out that you, know, you, you left $20 in your pants, you didn't know it, and you're like, hey, look, I'm $20 richer. Okay, well, that's how we think about it. But here, there's an internal joy. It may not be external, but there can be an internal joy, even in difficult times like diverse temptations. So sometimes the joy is expressed externally. Sometimes the joy is expressed internally. Now, watch. You can fake the joy to others. But you can never fake the joy to yourself. That's why there are people who leave church and they're utterly miserable because church has been one big fakery. It is a hassle, it is so wearing you out because you've got to keep the look, you've got to have the persona. You've got to put on that veneer. You've got to look the part. You've got to play that role so everyone thinks you're this and you're not this and you know you're not this, but you don't ever want to deal with why you're not this. You just want everyone to keep thinking you're this because that's really what it's about. It's not really about being right with God. It's about getting everyone to think you're this true joy comes from this heart that is committed on the lord now we begin doing these things out of commitment but those aren't the commitment the commitments in the heart and because our heart is committed a joy comes let me give you one more statement and really this this is the whole point of this point when you're serving the lord and all of a sudden the joy is gone that is like a bright red flashing light Because if you're doing it for the Lord from your heart, there should always be joy. I'm not saying happiness. I'm not saying giddiness. I'm not saying doing uh, uh, back flips, or or, or front flips, or side flips, or quarter flips, or half flips, full flips, or whatever flips you do. But I'm saying true joy. I was thinking leave the whole time. (laughs) True joy... It comes from now let's go back to David. was he committed? He was committed. Did he do something that showed his commitment? Yes, he brought the ark in. Did the ark stay in Jerusalem? Yes. now watch, did David stay committed? No did David fake it? mm hmm the whole time he faked it he, had, he he had her Bathsheba's husband killed. he married Bathsheba. She's pregnant. All these things are going on. And he's playing his role. He's never coming clean. But you know what's something that David did not have? He lost his joy. He's the psalmist of Israel. He's the one who played the harp for Saul. He is known for his his singing, writing the psalms. If anyone has joy, it's going to be David. And David is miserable. Outwardly, it all looks the same. Inwardly, it does not. How do I know that? goes into Psalms 51. When David comes clean, notice what David says. Psalms 51. Look with me at verse 9. Again, we're not talking about happiness, we're not talking about you know good time rock and roll. We're talking about a joy, a calming ex- experience, this ex- both calming and exciting influence, S- something that uh, it's, it's, it's both peace and satisfaction and contentment. It may, it may, there may be tears involved, but you can still have joy. There may be frustration involved, but there's still joy. There may be uh, discouragement involved, but there's still joy because it's our heart's commitment to the Lord that's driving it. But when David lost that commitment, he lost his joy. And I know that because look at verse 9. Hide thy face from my sins. This is after he's confronted by Nathan. He says, thou art the man, and now David's coming clean. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Now look at verse 12 restore unto me the joy of thy salvation why did it have to be restored because it was gone he had lost his joy and so we are reminded to be committed to the lord and secondly we are reminded to worship god in joy these are things we have to keep in mind I've got to keep in mind as a believer, I've got to stay committed. And, that, and part of that staying committed, I, I need to be reminded that there should be joy in my service, joy in my sacrifice, joy in my suffering, because it's of the Lord. Not the events bring joy, but the Lord brings the joy. And then there's a third. Let's go back to Psalms 132. And look with me. Now we're going to read through the, to the end of the psalm, starting in verse 10. And you kind of have to understand what the psalmist is saying and get the gist of it. So I'm going to read the whole thing and then tell you the point. For thy servant David's sake, turn not away the face of thine anointed. The Lord has sworn in truth unto David, he will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. If thy children will keep my covenant, my testimony that I shall teach them, their children shall also sit upon thy throne forevermore. For the Lord hath chosen Zion. He hath desired it for his habitation. This is my rest forever. Here where I dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly, now notice the change. He began talking about David, but this psalmist new David's testimony. That, yeah, he brought the ark in, but, you know, to Bathsheba, and that wasn't the only, but that was a big one. But now the, the, the changes from David, because he talks about this commitment, this promise, this what we call the Davidic covenant, David's seed will sit upon the throne forever. And now the thrust is about the Lord himself. Verse 15, I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will also clothe her priests of salvation, and her shams uh, shall shout aloud for joy. There will I make the horn of David to bud. I have ordained a lamp for, my, for, mine, for mine anointed. His enemies will I clothe the shame, but upon himself shall his cl- crown flourish. There's a change in the Psalms. It talks about David, but then it changes to the Lord. So here's our third understanding. We're reminded to be committed. We're reminded to worship God in joy. Number three is this. We are reminded to keep our eyes on God. Every person will disappoint you at some point and at some time. David was not the perfect king. He was a great king. They loved David, but David had his shortcomings. They knew that. What they got their what they realized was this, they need to take their eyes off of David and look to the promise that God made, cuz God made a promise that from the seed of David there would be this eternal king, someone who would sit on the on the throne forever. And so what happens is this, they understood that David was not the perfect king, but Jesus, this promise, this Davidic covenant, this Davidic promise, that Jesus would be and can be and is the perfect king. David is a great king, but David was far from perfect. From David came other kings, some better, some worse. Eventually, those kings from David would lead Israel away from God into destruction, into captivity. The ultimate fulfillment that he's talking about in Psalms 132. The ultimate fulfillment of the Davidic promise was not David, and was not a physical son of David in that Davidic lineage of that time. The ultimate fulfillment of the Davidic promise that God made to Israel was Jesus Christ. Go with me to Second Samuel 7. Second Samuel. No matter how much we're committed to the Lord and how much we serve the Lord, we cannot keep our eyes off the Lord. And there's a lot of things we can thank God for our church, we can thank God for fellow believers, we can thank God for what He's doing and what He has done, but our eyes ultimately must stay on the Lord. 2 Samuel 7. Look with me at verse number 16. In thine house and thy kingdom... Sh-, this is the Davidic promise. In thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee, Thy throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak unto David. Notice what he said. Your house, your kingdom, your throne. But it wasn't David that was the, the really the focus of that promise. Go with me to Luke chapter 1. When he's making this promise to David, it isn't David is the focus. Now David is the human person, human person. He's the person that God is using as the human seed, but the focus is on Jesus. So we're going to go to Luke, Luke chapter 1. And look with me at verse number 30. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary. For thou hast found favor with God, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him, watch, the throne of his father David. That was the thrust. That, even that verse is behind this, what we read in second, second Samuel 7. Look with me to the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. Look at me in verse 15. And the seventh angel sounded, and there was great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That's the great, really, answer fulfillment of the Davidic promise. Jesus, yes, he come from, humanly from the uh, lineage of David, but it was Jesus is the king who sits on the throne forever and ever and ever. So, how do we tie all this together? Well, we're talking about being committed to the Lord. Remind ourselves, I gotta stay committed to the Lord. It doesn't start with the external, it starts with the internal. It eventually is shown in the external, but the external is not the commitment. The internal is the commitment. And if it's a true internal commitment, yes, it'll be shown outside, but it'll be shown with joy. And as I internally commit to the Lord, serve Him in joy, I must remember that I keep my eyes on Him, because as I serve Him, they're gonna be Shortcomings and others who's gonna get my eyes off of the Lord if my eyes are on them. I got to keep my eyes on Jesus as I serve Him. As I serve Him with joy, I cannot let others rob me of that joy in their failings. Yes, David was great. He was committed. He brought the Ark to Jerusalem. Yes, he did it with joy. But David had some imperfections, and so. My eyes are not really on David. My eyes are on the promise that he made to David, which was of his seed, Jesus Christ, would be the king who would sit on the throne forever and ever. That's what I keep my eyes on. So no matter what the experience of this psalmist was, or even the experiences in our own journey, the ultimate fulfillment of all things that we're seeking and looking for is found in Jesus. I thank God for our church. Mentioned this morning, getting ready for the for the uh, uh, spring program, and, and uh, uh, it was great this morning. With uh, Mario came and uh, got saved about a week ago, maybe or was it this Tuesday or last Tuesday? Got saved just in the last few weeks. Uh, Paul and 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 Mike and met him out. Soul winning game, tra- didn't get saved there. Had him a track, and I guess he got saved later by reading the track. Great, perfect, wonderful. Uh, there's a lot of things we'd be excited about. We had bought uh, three. Three, six, nine, I think 12 people back in our Sunday school class, and our soul winning class, and, and, and trying to teach them how to lead people to the Lord. That's, there's a lot of things we're thankful for. But i tell you this, there's a lot of things also, and get your eyes off the Lord, get you frustrated, and make you want to quit. You have to keep your eyes on Jesus. Yes, be committed. Yes, do joy, but we have to keep our eyes focused because the really the fulfillment of all things isn't spring program. The fulfillment of all things isn't a fellowship hall that's <laughs> finally, hallelujah, when it gets done, praise the Lord. And so that's not the great fulfillment. The great fulfillment is Jesus is the King who's going to sit on the throne forever, and I'm going to see Him with my eyes, and that's the great fulfillment of all things. There's different bumper stickers. I've mentioned one, which is on uh, Doug's uh, toolbox, but I think his father-in-law, I think your dad put it there. That was your dad's bumper sticker. And it said, Jesus is coming, look busy. I love that bumper sticker. I've seen other bumper stickers that say this, Jesus is coming, and boy, is he mad. Now, that's probably a true statement as well. But here is really, it's not a bumper sticker, it's a verse, and this is even better. 1 John 2:28. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. So just like God could take his eternal word and the psalmist's experience, use them together to give us Psalms 132, God can take his word and your experiences in life and bring them together to work out his will in your life. Now, as he's doing that, we have to be reminded. As he works in our life, we have to be reminded, I've got to stay committed to the Lord. can't just look like it. It's got to be true commitment. And I need to be joyful. Again, not a manufactured joy. Not like, okay, I will be joyful. Okay, that's, that doesn't happen that way. True joy comes from the Lord. It comes through the Holy Spirit. And it happens as I just surrender and commit myself to him. So I'm committed to the Lord. There's this joyfulness in my worship and service. And I always must be reminded to keep focused on Jesus. Because as soon as my focus comes off of Jesus, I lose my commitment, I lose my joy, and bad things start happening. This is what the psalmist was reminded of. This is what we need to be reminded of.